Shalom, everyone. Come with me in prayer. Father Yahweh, we come before you. We praise you and we thank you so much for this beautiful Feast of Tabernacles. Father, we, we thank you for all the fellowship we've had so far. We thank you for all the fellowship we will have, all the memories to be made, all the friends we're yet to make. We just thank you so much for this time of the year that you give us for this reason, to worship you, to come before you in the spirit and in truth, Father, to just grow our love and appreciation for one another and for you. We pray that you uh, be with me during this message, that any words that are not yours, Father, let them just be ignored and let everything that is good be absorbed and, and taken in and that it is a sweet incense to you. And we thank you for everything you've done for us in Yeshua's name. Hallelujah. My name is Lucas Cecil, as I'm sure most of you probably know. Um, if you can't tell, my voice is shot. It's, it's shot because I'm so quiet. Um, I, I'm known as the Waffle Man and uh, everything else man. And uh, when I was asked to give a sermon during the, during the feast, I was thinking, you know, I'm just going to find one of those really easy, just knock off like five tips for X, Y, Z and go sit down. But my wife encouraged me. <laughs> she said, you should, you should do something else. And so I had a few ideas. And I narrowed it down to a couple ideas. And then I decided on, I wanted to touch on the women in the scriptures. Um, thus the name of the sermon, Behind Every Great Man. It's a pretty common saying that we've heard. Behind every great man is an even greater woman or a great woman. And... It's, it's really easy to get up here and think fondly on um, the men of Scripture. We have some excellent examples. We have you know Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, Yeshua. And that's just naming a few. And there are endless and endless amounts of Scriptures and sermons that can be given on those topics. However, the people that I'm going to be speaking on today are those who are often overlooked. And as you know, I'm speaking about the women of the scriptures. They've been there from the, nearly the, almost the very beginning. Not quite the very beginning, but really close to it. And have been right by the famous patriarchs the entire time. And they've been there as the faithful wife, the selfless helper, the repentant sinner, and even the righteous judge in, in one situation. These great women I'll be speaking on today are only a handful. Because, I mean, we don't have time and I don't have the voice for it right now. But I have a list and we can get started. And my first choice, I felt like it was like the most obvious, like no doy choice. Because I have to speak about her because it's like the most obvious. And that's Mary. <clears throat> and... To each one of these women, I'm going to put a lesson attached to it, like a lesson that can be learned if you delve into the scriptures behind these women. And Mary, ironically enough, is a lesson in being human. I have to mention her because, as we all know, she played an incredible role and shaped, helped shape the man we call Messiah. She was a young mother and had an incredible responsibility. Great, great, great women. Thank you so much, dear. <laughs> Imagine, <clears throat> not only did you have to deal with a one-of-a-kind pregnancy, but also your child 
would be the savior of Yahweh's people. I mean, you got, I know parents who have children that stress out when they have a math test coming up. You know, imagine the weight that was on this woman's shoulders every single day, not just during her pregnancy, but even more so afterwards. It's easy to read through the telling of Yahshua's childhood all the way through adulthood and ignore some pretty obvious truths. The task given to her put a strain on not only on her, but on her soon-to-be marriage with Joseph. <clears throat> As we know that when you know the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and impregnated her, Joseph was this, he was almost ready to wash his hands of the whole deal and just put her away and just be done with it, but we know... Hallelujah, that didn't happen. It also had to be an immense amount of pressure she had to feel, like I said, the entire time. She mothered the Messiah. All children are a blessing from the Father, and there's no doubt about that. <clears throat> but to know the son you birthed was a savior of, of mankind, that would be a pretty immense thought to have as a woman. You can't tell me he didn't keep her up at night <laughs> a couple times, you know, and then being worried sick about him. And, and the reason I said a lesson in being human is because there was a situation that her and Joseph were put in that just, it is the most human thing that could happen to a couple. In true human fashion, they lost the Messiah when, they were, when he was a child. They didn't know where he was. They left. They, left, they traveled for a day. Didn't even know he was gone. Over in Luke chapter 2, I have the scriptures up on the screen some of the time because I want you guys to kind of dig around and follow it too. But <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. <clears throat> And when they had fulfilled the days as they had returned, the child Yeshua tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing them to have been in the company, went on a day's journey, <clears throat> and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why have you, why have thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. I mean, how many times have you like turned around and your kid was gone? And then you find him and you're like, what were you doing? We were worried, sick. <laughs> I, mean, I was one of them. I did it before. <clears throat> and he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and, the, and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Now imagine that. Not only did your child, whom was uniquely birthed, who you knew had a divine destiny of the Savior of mankind, <clears throat> and when he gets lost, he confronts you and says, what do you mean, where was I? I was doing exactly what I was born to do. I mean, that had to be like, she had to be frizzing out. Her hair was probably just going crazy. And the father was probably going bald and just going, I mean, I couldn't imagine. I stress out watching other people's kids. And so 
I had to bring up her because, as you know, she raised the Messiah. But besides all of that, though, besides all of that, she was a wonderful mother. She followed her son to the very end. And she, had to, <clears throat> she was put into a position at the very end of his life that no parent would ever want to be in. She worked so hard to raise him, and she had to see him on the stake in such a way that, I mean, how could you stand it? You know what I mean? She, it took, she was a strong woman. She was a strong woman, to be sure. And you could do an entire sermon, and thousands of people have, on Mary alone. But for the sake of time, and to be fair to these other great women, I want to give them a shot, too. Um, the next woman on my list is Ruth. I felt like she was another pretty obvious choice. But she has a lesson in faithfulness and humility. <clears throat> if you're looking for an example of faith, dedication, and bravery, look no farther than the book of Ruth. Ruth was unwavering and completely dedicated to Yahweh and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Yahweh blessed Naomi with Ruth and Sometimes Naomi just couldn't see what was right in front of her face. She didn't see how good she had it. In uh, the end of chapter 1, in verse 21, Naomi says, I went away full, and Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when Yahweh has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Let me see what my next one was. Ah, yes. And as we know, Ruth is blessed with a Yahweh-fearing man who has been an example for men for a long time, Boaz. I mean, this guy was cream of the crop. And Ruth took the initiative when taking care of her mother-in-law. And I'm going to go through, these, uh, go through this story of Ruth here shortly. Naomi does not command Ruth to go out and work for her. I'm, I'm kind of giving you the summary version of these stories because I could be up here for hours at a time. Ruth says, let me go to the field. Let me go for you. Let me go and glean among the ears of grain. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start here. And I believe this is in chapter, I forgot to write it at the top, but that's okay. And she said, I pray to you. Let me just make sure I have this right. I want to say this is in chapter 1. Yeah, chapter 1, 21. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued, even from the morning until now, that she tarried a little in the house. And then Boaz said unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. I have not charged the young men that they shall not touch, or excuse me, have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou should take knowledge from me, seeing that I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath faithfully been showed to me that all thou hast done unto my mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. Yahweh recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of Yahweh Elohim of Israel. 
under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my master, for that thou hast comforted me, and for thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I not be like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and she reached, she reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that which she had gleaned, and it was about a, about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law, <clears throat> and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that which she reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And he showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I am wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of Yahweh who hath left not his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin to us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the, and Ruth the Moabitess said, He said also unto me, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou goest out with his handmaidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now, <clears throat> Ruth showed exceptional humility when it came to Naomi, to Boaz, she knew how to take the initiative without being presumptuous. And the servants of Boaz show how they, you know, they approached her that morning. And she said, pray, let me glean and gather among the reapers. <clears throat> she didn't demand a handout. She didn't ask him for anything. She said, let me go. Let me do it. Let me do it. <clears throat> Which is a rarity. It, I mean, it was a rarity then. And it's especially a rarity now. <clears throat> All she wants to do is gather up the leftovers after the reapers are done. And she even asked permission to do that. She is like another foreign woman that comes to mind, that came to Yeshua, and who, who, who came to the Messiah, and he said, I came only for the house of the sheep of, you know, lost, lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she, the woman told Messiah, Master, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, to which Messiah responded by extolling her faith. And Ruth knew how to take the initiative. But she wasn't pushy or presumptuous, and she was meek and humble throughout the entire experience. And there's a lot to be learned from that. A lot of times, especially now, it's a uh, the world treats being a woman almost as a handicap. And that's just not true. These There have been women in history and in scripture that have just blown the lid off of the preconceived notions we have about women. It, both Ruth and Mary and the others that are going to be on my list, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do something because Yahweh has shown us time and time again in Scripture that you can. The next woman on my list is Hannah. I chose Hannah because it, was, it wasn't unique in that Yahweh blessed a barren woman with a child. 
but it was unique in what she did with the child and the, her reaction to the blessing that she did get. We know her for her sorrow, obviously. She longed for a son and couldn't have a child. We know her for her faithfulness. She never gave up hope that Yahweh would, would hear her prayer. I mean, she was very fervent and consistent with her prayers. She also showed like unmatched restraint, I think, in Scripture. She had every reason to be bent out of shape at some of the people that was around her. And even the priest, you know, had not-so-nice words to say to her. My mom always told me, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything. And Hannah did exactly that. She kept her mouth shut most of the time. Even when she had a right to speak out, she didn't do it. <clears throat> Oops. There we go. She not only knew the right things to say, but she also knew when to not say anything. For years, Paniah, Elkanah, uh, her name, I'm, I'm so bad with these names, Elkanah's other wife ridiculed Hannah for her infertility. Yet instead of responding to her tormentor, she just kept her mouth shut. And again, today, there's no, there's no grace. There's no grace among people anymore. If somebody says something to you, you're expected to go toe-to-toe with them. And just, if they cut you down at the knees, that just makes it easier to cut them down at the knees. Her character was tested when the priest, Eli, accused her of being drunk, which is crazy. I mean, you read the story. I don't know where he got that from, but he did. I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'll read through this, and then uh, I'll, I'll go on. And Hannah, this is speaking of Hannah. She vowed a vow, and this is in, in case you haven't noticed, I haven't got a lot of sleep, so I didn't put the scriptures where I needed to. Bear with me. And she vowed a vow and said, O Yahweh of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give me unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him to Yahweh all the days of his life, and there shall be no razor upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before Yahweh, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. I mean, how many of you have done that before? You sat down and you prayed. Silently, you, you lipped the movements. You know, you lipped the words, but you're not actually speaking. This is what this woman was doing. She was on her knees. She was praying. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but the voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. Bad call on Eli's part. <laughs> and Eli said unto her, How long will thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah said and, ans- and answered and said, No, my master, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before Yahweh. That response alone is just like, it just, imagine you're already preoccupied with the fact that you can't have, you're, you're struggling to have a child, you want to have a child, and you can't. And then you have this, this priest come along and just again cut you down at the knees without really even knowing and her response was that of grace count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto and Eli answered and said go in peace and the Elohim of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him 
And she said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up early in the morning, and they worshipped before Yahweh, and returned, and came to their house, and came to their house to Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and Yahweh remembered her, wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about, after Hannah had conceived that she had bore a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of Yahweh, and the man Elkanah and all of his house went up to offer to Yahweh the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, then I will bring him, that he may appear before Yahweh and abide forever. And Elkanah her husband said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, tarry until you have weaned him, only Yahweh establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah flour and a bottle of wine and brought him to the house of Yahweh in Shiloh. And the child was young, and they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my master, as thy soul liveth, my master, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto Yahweh. For this child I prayed, and Yahweh hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to Yahweh, that as long as he liveth, he shall be lent to Yahweh, and he worshipped Yahweh there. So not only did this woman face ridicule from her own, from her own husband for being barren, thought she was the, the priest thought she was drunk, and when she was when she was finally received this prayer that she had been petitioning for for so long, she gave the child to Yahweh. And just dedicated him to the service of the temple. And that's where he stayed. Now, Yahweh tends to, when Yahweh puts you to the test like that, he tends to, if you respond correctly in the right way, Yahweh tends to double, triple, and go on and on with the blessings. And we know with Hannah, he did that. Yahweh didn't just bless Hannah with a child only to take him away. As we know, Hannah was blessed with five more children, three more sons and two daughters, while Samuel grew up. In the presence of Yahweh. And so she, she didn't lose a son. Because you know she could go see him. At the temple. But you know that had to be hard. I mean when a child's weaned. They're not that old. To just hand him over. That, on faith that you're going to be blessed for. That's an incredible thing. So Hannah is the lesson in grace. When to speak. When not to speak. And when you do speak. Make sure it's edifying. And Yahweh will bless you for it. Deborah is the next woman. And a lesson in bravery and fearlessness. Now I don't have, because because Deborah, is, her story is kind of fragmented throughout, the, throughout Judges there in, in chapter 4 and 5. I don't have a spiel like I did with the others. But she's the only female judge. That alone is impressive to me. And she was the only judge to be called a prophet or a prophetess. Deborah was a, was a decisive figure in the defeat of the Canaanites, a victory told in two accounts, a prose narrative in Judges 4, and an instance, and an ancient song known as the Song of Deborah, probably composed not long after the original events, possibly by Deborah herself, nobody really knows, and preserved in Judges 5, 
In Judges 4 4, Deborah is identified as Ashet Lapido, which may mean woman of the town of Lapidoth, that's a, a town, a wife of a man from that town, or a woman of torches, that is a fiery woman, which I kind of lean towards that last one. Because Deborah was, she was large and in charge back then. Um, the story opens in Judges 4. We don't really know what brought her to this point. We, there's no real background to what happened to bring her to the appointment of judge, but we know that she was judge. She's settling disputes brought to her while she sits under the palm of Deborah in the hill country of Ephraim, and that's in Judges 4 or 5. There was a situation Deborah was put in where she commanded her general to take 10,000 men to Mount Tabor to begin the battle. And he says, I'm only going to go if you go. Now, normally, a general stays at the back and lets the men do the fighting. You know, that's, that's usually how it goes. And her own general says, I'm not going to go unless you go. To which she responded, all right, let's go. Which probably was not the answer he wanted to hear. But she also then goes on to tell her general, Barak, you're not going to even get any glory from this. Yahweh will deliver um, Sisera, which is the, the commander they were going to go take over, into the hand of a woman. And that's from Judges 4.9. Now, knowing Deborah, and you see her up to this point, you know, running things essentially, you assume Deborah's going to get this guy. Uh, Sisera deploys his army against Deborah and Barak and the troops near Mount Tabor in Galilee. Deborah announces to Barak that the day of victory has come. And Yahweh is indeed, in, and she says, and quote, Yahweh is indeed going out before you. And Barak and his warriors destroy all the Canaanites except Sisera, Sisera, who flees from the battle to seek refuge with the Kenite woman, Jael, who kills him. And it was that, that was the woman who she was speaking of. And so you can kind of see how she was commanding this army. She was willing to walk right in the battle. And she was also a prophetess, which is you know one of those unusual little attributes that, attributes that you don't see too often in Scripture. And so you've got this woman in a, world, in, in a man's world, essentially. Just when there was no man, I'm assuming, we don't know. Like I said, we don't know what brought Deborah to her... Uh, her appointing as a judge, but we know that she took the job and she did it well. And I believe Yahweh blessed her for it because she was she was the first one of the first in the battle, walked right in there up to take Tabor, and she was prophesying against the enemy, and I'm sure the men were probably willing to follow her wherever she went. Yahweh even took part in the actual battle. It says the stars fought from heaven and their courses they fought against Sesera. The torrent Kishon swept them away, and this disabled the Canaanite chariots, enabling Israel's infantry to win. And that's in uh, Judges 5. So you've got this woman leading an army, Yahweh's on her side. I mean, it's just a shining example of leadership. And uh, that was one of the reasons I chose Deborah. Next, this one... Not everybody likes Sarah a whole lot, 
I've actually, I've actually found that out online. I was doing a little bit of research into this. And a lot of people look at Sarah in a pretty negative light. And I think, I think the reason why is her most well-known attribute is her really bad sense of timing with her humor. You know, she laughs at this the wrong time. Sarah played an important role in the history of salvation. Even though, as we all know, she initially doubts what Yahweh was doing for her, she was also, there's a lesson in doubt, but there's also a lesson in faith. There's a good side to Sarah that a lot of people tend to sweep under the rug. She loved Abram, Abraham. I'm going to call him Abraham for the sake of understanding. She loved Abraham dearly. And this is evident at the beginning of their story. They set up their home among their relatives in Ur, and they were comfortable. They, um, Sarah had a, a big family there. And things were going well. And then they faced disappointment. Scripture tells us Sarah was barren. Again, barren, no children. In Genesis 1130. And, and obviously, as we know, in scriptural times, bearing children, that was, that was how you continued your family. That was how you grew your family and your land and your influence and everything else. And it was just to keep the line going, Yahweh's traditions going, Yahweh's um, commandments going. And so back then, not having a child was especially trying. Not that it isn't now, but you know what I mean. Sarah and Abraham ended up leaving their life of comfort and follow Yahweh's word. They had, they had everything they needed where they were at with their family and earth, but... Abraham heard Yahweh speaking and said, we got to go. We got to go to the strange land in the middle of nowhere. And they had, they, they were comfortable. They had all the amenities. And from what I gather, they were rather wealthy. And she forsook all of that and stepped out in faith with her husband and followed Yahweh's word. Despite the challenges and everything, she was packed up and ready to go ready to leave that comfortable life they had made for themselves. And as they traveled, Abraham is spoken to by Yahweh again. And this time he's told, I will make you a great nation. But at this time, Abraham was 75. And Sarah was 65. And they were still childless. And, you know, obviously, the question comes to mind in her head, well, how on earth is this going to work? And as we all know, Sarah's doubt was laid to rest when at the ripe old age of 90, she bore Isaac, whose name means laughter. It's kind of fitting. And also, you gotta, you, you, sometimes you read these stories and the, the doubt that they have and how ironically it's laid to rest. And it kind of gives me a little bit of comfort to know that Yahweh's got a sense of humor very similar to our own. We are made in his image after all, and humor goes with that, I think. I feel like it's really easy to read the story of Abraham and Sarah and see her in a less than pleasant light. But you got to ask yourself, all you ladies, how would you react on if on your 90th birthday, your husband says, buckle up, you're going to have a kid. And then not only that, then you turn around and you have the child. I mean, it's easy to read scripture as ancient history and see it like negative, you know what I mean? But if you put yourself in those shoes, 
I'm not so sure a lot of you wouldn't laugh and be like, okay. <laughs> the story gives hope to the hopeless, though. That's the, that's the main takeaway from the story of Abraham and Sarah, in my opinion. No, how un, no matter how unlikely you may conceive a blessing to be, if Yahweh wills a blessing to be given, it'll be given. You have nothing to do with it. If he decides it, it'll happen. And, and I could go on about their, their foray into Egypt and that whole thing. But like I said, for the sake of time and my voice, I, can't, I just can't do it. Um, I got a couple more on my list that I want to go through. And I've touched on, I had Mary in the New Testament, but I wanted to have a few more in, uh, in the New Testament as well. So that, that's what I had on Sarah. It's a lesson in doubt and faith. And don't doubt when Yahweh says he will bless you for something, because he will. He will pour it out on you, and you, you won't be able to handle the blessings if you just let him do it. Let him do his work. Next is Priscilla. There's a lot of lessons you can learn from Priscilla, all of us. And Aquila, honestly. But a lesson in faithfulness, devotion, and generosity. There's not a whole lot written about Priscilla and Aquila. We know the Apostle Paul dealt with them pretty extensively. And we also know that they were absolutely and totally dedicated to the ministry. Priscilla is always paired with her husband. I mean, the two becoming one flesh, is, an, is this is right on with these two. It's difficult to separate her and place her on a pedestal of her own because they work so well together. Their two hearts beat as one. Harmoniously, they labored together in the service of Yahweh's assembly. They walked as one, for they had mutually agreed to put the Messiah first. Now that is something that is lacking. Not just, even back then it was lacking. A lot of times it's easy to look at Scripture as this far off thing but not not a lot has changed i mean give them an iphone and they'd be pretty much in the same boat as the rest of us putting yahweh first is not something that is people say it lip service they pay lip service to it and yahweh talks about that but these people truly put yahweh first above each other and above everything else. There are six references where both are mentioned. And the name of Priscilla comes first in three instances. Which is unique. That is unique. This woman was an exceptional woman. of Like follower of Messiah. He, she was. Because as you know. They did a lot of work out of their home. And as the, the woman makes a house a home. And I think that's significant that she's mentioned first in a few instances like that. And then her husband is mentioned first in the other three. They're never mentioned apart, though. Never. In the truest sense, they were, they were one flesh. They also housed Paul for 18 months. Now, I know we've all had family and friends come to visit, right? 18 months is a long time to have somebody... That is not yours under your roof. For anybody. I don't care who it is. I don't care how close you are. But they housed Paul for 18 months. People can wear out their welcome pretty quickly. 
But they did it. They helped him. And it, it, because it wasn't about their friendship. The friendship with, with Paul was a bonus. The friendship with the people that they met was a bonus. But it, this was about furthering Yahweh's word. That's why they did it. They didn't do it because they just wanted to do it. Priscilla played an enormous role in Paul's life. Along with her husband, they helped Paul, who is, if you, if you know anything about Paul, you know that he spent a lot of his time kind of just worn out, tired, lonely. Because, I mean, he was on the road, traveling thousands of miles to countries, talking to people that didn't want to talk to him, trying to convert. And if you've, tried, if you've tried to talk to a total stranger about the faith, especially somebody who's adamantly in their own faith, you know how exhausting that can be. And so Paul had a place of comfort with Priscilla and Aquila. It was one of the few places that he could find that comfort. And I think that's why he stayed so long. He, he tarried there because he didn't want to leave. This was one of the few places he had where he could feel like he wasn't alone. Because he had two just amazingly devoted people right there with him. And I think that's a... That's a big thing. Don't let anybody tell you that hospitality is not a gift of the Spirit because it is. It definitely is. And another thing we can all glean from Priscilla is her devotion to her husband and how they were lockstep in their marriage to one another and to the Messiah. And they put Yahweh first in everything. That is the, that's the biggest takeaway from Priscilla and Aquila was that they were just one unit. Moving like a well-oiled machine. The last lady I'm going to speak about. By the way, there are too many Marys. There are too many Marys. Yahweh bless all of them. Yahweh bless any Mary. But there's a lot of Marys in Scripture. I wanted to talk about Mary Magdalene. She's mentioned 14 times in the Gospels. And from references to her, you can kind of you can kind of see what she did and how she did it. A striking feature in eight of the fourteen passages is that Mary is named in connection with other women, but she's always the first on the list. There are many women that follow the Messiah, but Mary was just like she was just right there. She was very prominent in the Messiah's life. This implies, the fact she's mentioned first in eight of the 14 instances, she's occupying a place at the front of the service rendered by these righteous females. So all of these women following the Messiah looking to just do what he needs to do, whatever he needs, Mary was right there in the, whenever he needed her. In the five times she's mentioned alone, the connection is with the death and resurrection of Messiah. And that's Mark sixteen nineteen. John 20, verse 1, verse 11, verse 16, and verse 18. In one instance, her name comes after that of her mother and her aunt, and the aunt of Yeshua. She stood close by the stake of these women, but because of their relation, because these were direct blood of Yeshua she's mentioned after. But honestly, I think that's the only reason why she was not mentioned first. No woman around Yeshua, I believe, superseded her devotion. Even his own mother. I mean, his mother, don't get me wrong, his mother was devoted. But she was also his mother. You know, I feel like that's kind of the natural thing. But this woman was just 
a follower. John 12, I don't have this on the slide. John 12, verses 1 through 8 reads, Then Yahshua, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And when they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Yeshua, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, big surprise there, Simon's son, which should betray him? Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Then he said, not that he had cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. I mean, this guy, I got to wonder. Let me just put a little rabbit trail here. How did they not see it? You know, how did these disciples not know this? Uh, anyway, they were all probably pretty mad at themselves after that. Then Yahshua said, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. So, I mean, I feel like Mary had a little bit of insider information from the Father. I do. She knew. It's a woman's intuition, I guess. I don't know. But she knew. Imagine being a woman in the pre- <laughs> I couldn't imagine this. Being a woman in the presence of the 12 disciples and the Messiah... And under all this pressure, which would be all the time, I feel like, you take this ointment and you you anoint the master's feet without saying a word. And then you continue to wipe his feet with your hair. And meanwhile, one of the 12 is just browbeating you over your actions of beautiful service to the Messiah. That's That's a brave move, I'll say that. What an incredible service Mary did in the face of criticism. Yeshua and his comfort was absolutely her top priority. Nothing else at that point mattered because she knew, I think she knew what was going to happen to him. And after all, Yeshua put together any doubt of that in that last sentence. How often do we have an opportunity to do something that is pure and righteous and turn away because of what people, even the brethren, might think? You know, we're all still human. How many times do we turn away from a a beautiful thing like what Mary did because we're afraid of what it might look like? You know? She was by the Messiah's side as long as she could be. And I think she was blessed in that she was one of the first to know that he was resurrected. I think Yahweh comforted her in that. There's a ton of examples I could go on to give. I, 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 I skipped Esther altogether. I could have did a whole sermon on Esther. There are many, many other women that I could go on about. And Yahweh speaks highly of a righteous woman. And the reward is going to be an incredible one. There's no doubt about it. I'm going to close with two scriptures couple more walls of text for you to read. Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives, even as Messiah who loved the assembly and gave himself for it, 
that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might be present, that he might present it to himself a glorious assembly, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be a holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Messiah, Messiah, master of the assembly. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined together unto his wife, and they shall, the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Messiah and the assembly. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Next, Proverbs 31. I think this is just about, if you want to know what Yahweh thinks about a righteous woman and the value that they hold, read Proverbs 31. Who can find a virtuous woman? This is verses 10 through 31, by the way. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that she shall have no need of spoil. He shall have no need of spoil. Excuse me. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while this yet night and gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins of strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She lays her hand to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hands to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes herself coverings of tapestry. tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple, and her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She makes fine linen and selleth it and delivers girdles into the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looks well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously but thou, excellence of them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth Yahweh, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Whether they're the wives of the elders, of the brethren, sisters by blood or by baptism, these women make a house a home. And that includes the house of Yahweh, I believe. They can make friends in the family. And let's not take these helpmates that Yahweh blessed us with for granted. May Yahweh bless you.